When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey. Hey. What'd you think? About what? Did, did you get my text? Oh. Welcome to another episode of Did You Get My Text? I'm Patton Oswalt. I am Meredith Salinger. Oh, we're so glad you guys joined us, and we're so glad that we have time to sit down and go over all of our texts. It's, I feel like we haven't talked sending. in a really long time. We've been. This has been a very crazy, busy, You've nonstop week. You've been working week. nonstop. Oh, God. Normally, we text when you're home, and... You are home. I mean, we're all home, but you've been working a lot too. And when I'm working, I'm so in task mode, I guess, that I'm not really paying attention to anything except the job at hand. Except you do send me texts all day long. I do send you texts of things. All day long. Yes. Um, well, why don't we get to some of those? Let's get to Do you to want it. to go first or should I? Okay, you go first. All right, so I sent you a picture. This made me laugh out loud the second that I saw it, and this will be up on uh, the Instagram. Oh, yeah, you guys, every time we talk about something... That day, the day that our podcast is released. I post about it on the Instagram. Yeah, and then all the little pictures and things we've talked also, about. Also, we got to start posting on the website uh, over on uh, um, Starburns. They can, for each episode, they can put pictures up. Yes, they don't shake no. your head at me. Yes, they can. No, they can't. Yeah, they can. I don't think they can, honey. Send them stuff. No, have them go to your Instagram. Then they can see. Go to my Instagram anyway. But yeah. also, I'm going to also to have stuff on the website. I mean, obviously, I should be doing it, too. We, bo- we both host the you show. I haven't done anything. I have done all the posting. <gasps> anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. So this first thing is. A- I wish you guys were here. I wish this was like a live audience so that we could hear the, ooh, oh, damn, that kind of stuff. <laughs> it wouldn't be. It would be very quiet cringing, and that's about it. No, people would be like. I'm with you, Meredith. No, it's not an episode of Married with Children. It w- that wouldn't be happening. Yes, all right. Sir. Um. I sent you a picture. Don't know and. Yes, a, and. No, you. The, the highest comedy is getting laughter from no anding. That's what I think. <laughs> yes, anding is so easy. No budding. That's the challenge. Oh, Lord. Shut the other person down and still get a laugh. That's what I say. <laughs> That's nice. Dig a hole. All right. I sent you a picture. This is one of those uh, weird um, uh, Instagram uh, shady companies trying to sell this thing. This was a combination. I love this so much. It's it's a nightstand that you can take the two. It's like a little stand and then a round top, and you can you can quickly disassemble them. And the it's, nightstand it's a nightstand that looks like a normal nightstand, but if you round want nightstand, it's a round nightstand with legs, and you can no take, a single a single pillar, s- yeah, like leg, and you could take the top off and use it as a shield, <laughs> and take the stem off and use it as a. A, a bat, like a weapon, basically. Yeah. So it is oh, a man, I need that. next to your bed. But okay, 
instantly. So you're going to have all your stuff on this <laughs> nightstand. You've got yeah, to first clear everything off. Yeah, that you're never going to do Then you've got to disassemble the thing. Like if you're getting attacked <laughs> at night, I'm not going to assemble medieval level weaponry. I'm not going to get a shield and a bed. That is the dumbest thing. And, and these, and, and by the way, Close to the bed weapons. Um, when I took a, I took a gun safety course at the fabulous firing line in Burbank. Uh, how to handle guns? And the, one of the first things that they told us was because a lot of people in the class were there to see: Do I want to own a gun? Do I want to have a gun in the house? And they wanted to know how to properly take care of it and store it. And the first thing the instructor said was: If you have a gun or any kind of weapon. Keep it three steps away from your bed. Don't keep it so that you can just grab it in panic and start using it. Let yourself get up and kind of get your senses for a second. You know, these people that keep guns right by the bed, that's where accidental deaths happen. Yeah. Well, why? Because they they want you to not be half asleep while you're grabbing a gun or a weapon and using it. That's the whole idea is keep it three steps away from you so that you have to at least come to your senses. And I've seen advertisements. There are these under the bed, like rollout beds that you keep a shotgun in. There's a little um, clamp. You can literally keep a pistol. Un- you reach under and grab it. Like that is so frigging dangerous. Right. But what if it's in like, because we don't, we don't have guns. If you hurt a burglar and you want to get your gun, then you have to like unlock the box and then load it up. Well, if the burglar's downstairs, one, them hearing you, your footsteps moving around is, they don't, they don't want to hear that. Unless it's going to be a home invasion and they're coming straight up to tie you up. But still, you do, you don't know what, again, if, if that's what your mindset is, then if someone comes in to playfully jump on the bed or do something, you're going to wake up and just start blasting away. You don't <laughs> want that. Keep your weapon, keep your weapons where you know where they are, but also give yourself, the, and look, this is the gun instructor saying, give yourself three steps. Okay, so the the table, the, the table that turns into a shield and a bat, not a great idea because you have to Take all the stuff on the side, like you have your water bottle, you've got your chapstick, you have your alarm clock. You're half asleep. You're trying to disassemble this thing. Get your arms through the straps of this shield like Captain America. Pick up your stupid bat. You're going to go down so, you're going to die looking as dumb as you possibly can. I don't think people buy it to actually have it be their weapon of choice. Mm -hmm. I think it's more like... Hey, I'm a nerd, man. Come look at my cool nerd stuff. You're like, and look at my side table. This can turn into a shield and a bat. If you, it's okay, more for nerd if, you, if you hooked up with a dude and went back to his apartment, he's like, by the way, this nightstand, it's a shield and a bat. Would you, would that? Dude, I married you. But I, I saw but, and, all and, the And I'm weird... making fun of this right now. I'm not doing that. Like that. You're not that... doing that, but there's a million other things that you're like, oh, you're dating this guy. Go look in Patton's <laughs> office. What crazy <laughs> things are in my office except for books? Oh my God, he's got all these books. What a weirdo. He reads. You've got little nerdy things. You've got your little Dungeons and Dragons dice everywhere. And you've got- No, I don't. Okay, they're not everywhere, but you do have a little- I bought a bag of them because Alice wanted to learn how to play. Yeah, blame it on Alice. No, she did. I'm just saying these guys, it's the same thing as like when you go to someone's apartment and they like, I, I make it look like a dojo. I've got my throwing stars on the wall. I've got my samurai swords. You're like, dude. Well, it's like those you, politician uh, ladies, those right-wing QAnon MAGA politicians who take pictures, like stand in front of all their guns behind them. Oh my God. And they think that that's a sign of 
strength or something. Yeah, just posing with a bunch of weapons that you've, again, it's, it's like I'm just standing here with things that, that there's nothing sadder. I, I understand when you're when you're little and you like to show off all your cool toys and all the stuff you have, but when you get past a certain age and you're posting pictures on your Facebook or your Twitter of the car you have or worse yet, the car you like, like, this is a car I like. It's like, are you're basically five years old. Just why are you posting pictures of that? Wait, speaking of people, Congress people <laughs> who stand in front of their things, um, there's this woman. Her name is Lauren Boebert. Oh, God, the She's worst. She's a, a House, Rep- House candidate from mm-hmm. wherever. She wrote a tweet today. Oh. And she wrote, I'm living the American dream. I came up from welfare, standing in line, waiting for government cheese, to now running for Congress. Let's keep radical socialists out of government so that people can be empowered to lift themselves out of poverty rather than wait on government. Girl, you literally just said, (laughs) I came up from welfare, standing in line, for help. Someone was helping you out. You got out. help? Yeah. You got help. And well, and, and you're, you don't want other people to get help? There's a lot of people, look. And I'm, by the way, that's not radical socialism. That's, I know. Jesus Christ. Look, I'm not defending Lauren Boebert here. And meanwhile, her her profile picture is her holding a gun. Exactly. Listen, I don't want to, I don't want to defend Lauren Boebert. We're but not going I, down that rabbit hole. I'm just saying. But, no, no, no. What I'm saying is a lot of times people's added, you know, that, that actor, Craig T. Nelson um, was on Fox News one time and said, when I grew up, I was on food stamps and nobody helped me. Like literally uh, in the same sentence. You're like, you're like oh my God. Dude. And, and like, you know, Adam Carolla also, when he was young, like there's so much poverty shaming that goes on in this country that a lot of people, when they do get past needing help or if they do make it, they it's almost like they want to try to erase the shame of their past by going, I'm on board the lifeboat, now pull the rope up. These people have got to be, or they want to, what they want to do is, I would have made it without the help and I'll never be able to prove it. So the only way I can do it now is by showing that, like in other words, if I can show that people can make it without it, it means I could have also done it. And it's only because there was, there's so much, Poverty shaming that goes on to people treat being poor in this country like it's some kind of disease. Or not only, I understand that people are poor because they have bad luck, but sometimes people are quote unquote poor because they don't want to have a lot of stuff. It's that whole thing about how. It's just, first of all, what? It's not bad luck, it's a system of poverty in this country. It's systematic and it permeates throughout. Our entire sweetie, some people. If you get into oh, if you get into an accident or have some kind of sickness and and there's no um, health care and it wipes you out. Yes, yes, there are people that have gone broke and become homeless purely because they have run into a bad spell. Well, and unfortunately, but what I'm saying is we have a system that doesn't account for a run of bad luck. Right. Um. And as that's what I'm saying. And but what I'm saying is people treat. Poverty, like it's a disease that's going to be contagious and affect them unless they shame it and point it out and keep it away from them rather than, and again, there are also people that there's a whole thing about how Dolly Parton could be a billionaire probably several times over, but she gives giant chunks of her money away because she's like, I don't need all this. And there are other people people that are like, I have, I have got to keep as much as I can because my strength comes from, look at how high I get these numbers. And, And that's, it's a psychological disease of this country and it's particular to this country and it's and it's sad it's really sad but that but what i'm saying is um yes look lauren bobert is a horrible person but i know (laughs) 
where some of her horribleness comes from. I know where some of Karl Rove's horribleness comes from. He had a really awful childhood as, um, and he was, uh, he was, you know, abused and made fun of by, by bullies. And a lot of people that get bullied when they grow up, unfortunately, because not a lot of them, but a chunk of them go, I am going to make friends with the bullies and be on the side of the bullies rather than stand up for other people that got teased and pummeled like I did. And that's a very normal human reaction is to go side with the bullies. Right, because it's a lack of self-confidence and yes. self-assuredness and, and integrity look, and care. And, it's fear. And, and, and when and you fear. live under fear and hunger and want for long enough, you will. Um, and, and if there's a system that isn't there to go, hey, don't worry about it. We'll help you out then yeah, you will turn to, you'll go, you know what? I may as, I'd rather punch down than get punched. And it's really sad that that happens. And if, if that's Lauren's tweet, then that's exactly what she's saying. I wasn't able to overcome this shame. Well, and who get knows my what own. she's saying? She's a horrible person. Anyway. Yeah. What, also, by the way, knowing Lauren Boebert, she could be lying. Oh, like, like all those people who pretend to be like the comedians who are like the down home comedians, but really they're like Kid Rock, who's like a billionaire and he pretends to be like- He grew up low rich. Class. Yeah. He grew up with tennis courts and horse paddocks. His dad was like the biggest car dealer. And then he was like, I'm going to affect this It's so funny to me that- Trailer park. I'm, I'm up from nothing. I'm down with the people. Really? Really? Why don't you go, why don't you go tell the help to change the hay in the horse paddocks there, Kid Rock? Yeah, a lot of the people are like, he's like one of us. He's just like us. He, yeah, Trump is just like you. He's just like you. Um, kid Rock all these is people a rich, who have more money than than kid, any of kid us. Kid Rock is a rich kid who literally went to a Halloween superstore and bought um, a a quote unquote like working class redneck costume out of a plastic bag and slapped it on. Everyone went, yeah, he's just like us. And you're like, oh, you dupes. And then there's some of those comedians. Dupes who are like... I'm just working class, just like you. Yeah, you're, but they're like super rich, not, but they put on the role of working you, class. And look, I understand coming up from nothing and then becoming rich. I, absolutely. I'm talking about people who started off... Um, to, super at, at, rich. Yeah, I, I know I'm misquoting. I know this gets attributed to Molly Ivins, but she didn't say it, who were born on third base, but they act like they've hit a triple. Ah, yeah. And I forgot who's... It gets attributed to Molly Ivins, but she didn't say it. Anyway, that's interesting. That's good. And that happens to most of our society. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people get a step forward before just by being born into the right area of the country and yeah. the right race. But, and they're, the right, they, but they're the first they, to they, turn around to go, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, man. You just got to work harder. Yeah. And they don't realize that you didn't, it's not because of you. It's because you got lucky mm -hmm. in your station in life. And Spread the luck around. Yeah. Spread the luck around. You'll still be rich. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, smash the state. We'll be right back. Welcome back. <laughs> I was just scrolling through the things I've texted you recently. Yeah. Um, and one of them was a meme online mm -hmm. that it's just words. It just says, y'all climbing these milk crates like we got rooms available in the ER. Now that's interesting because it touches on two things. The fact that the coronavirus has again, swept the nation. Half of us are not vaccinated <laughs> yeah. and are taking up all the ER beds. Yeah. And, uh, 
this is what I always say to Alice. Like, she's like, can I go skateboarding? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. I'm like, please don't break your arm. There is no room in the ER for you. Yeah, we're going to have to little house in the prairie this. If you break a bone, <laughs> I got to go cut some ash saplings and make a, a, a splint. I got to reread my Jean George, my side of the mountain and learn how to make a splint. Yeah, my I'm very concerned about her safety right now because nobody can help. There's no. every hospital bed, every doctor is being utilized to treat COVID patients and to treat COVID patients who are majority reje- of whom who are rejecting science and medicine. And then when they get sick, they demand science and medicine, make them better. Yeah. So there's like <laughs> petitions going around online of people saying, listen, if you have COVID and you're trying to get into the, get a hospital bed, but you have not been vaccinated, uh, you need to be at the end of the line. The people yeah. who should be up in front of you are the people who were vaccinated, who and and who got sick from you, yeah, and who got sick because you, <laughs> you let it mutate in your body, and now yeah. their lives are at stake. Oh, God. Um, but anyway, so everyone's doing this crate challenge, milk crate challenge, the milk crate challenge, and I have so many questions. <laughs> who was the first person to do this thing, and how did it take off into a trend? I mean, if you think about all the random weird things that people have done, like the cinnamon challenge. Do you know oh, about that? I know exactly what the Take cinnamon Take a spoonful is. of dry cinnamon and- eat, Try to swallow Try it. to swallow it. Everybody like chokes to death you and can't. dies. It's horrible. Spans in your throat. It's horrible. Um, and then the planking on things, like plank here, plank there. Like at the top of a bridge, you're planking over the edge of a bridge. Uh-huh. Just all these very dangerous things. There's so many more I can't what think What was of. that ghost riding the whip dance where T-T- do you love, you got to jump out of your car and do like a little dance while it's rolling. Do oh, you, I love that. Are you riding? Oh, yeah. Da, da, ba, 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 oh, there's so many good dancers yeah, yeah, yeah. doing that. But uh, I love that. But my, but where, who is the first person to do it? And who are all the people that see the person fall off the milk crate and they crack their ribs on the, on the, on the milk crates below them and, or fall off completely and break their necks right. or their arms or whatever. Like seven people have done the milk crate challenge well. Yeah, and one of them was a a team mascot in a team mascot costume actually did it, which I was like, once a guy in a giant um, unwieldy team mascot costume did it, shouldn't that just shut it down for everyone? Like, okay, we're done. It's like at the end of Better Off Dead when he skis down the hill on one ski, they're like, okay, one ski, we're done doing this. No one's gonna do that better than that. We're done, let's move on. There was a girl who had ballet, uh, toe shoes, point shoes Mm -hmm. on, a ballerina. Right. And she did it. Well, yeah. But she put, um, on the milk crates, she put wine bottles. Wow. And then she milk crate challenged with wine bottles and point shoes and did the thing. Did she not knock the wine bottles over? Was that part of the challenge? Well, she, yeah, she just did it. I'm just wondering, I didn't know we had this many spare milk crates. Yeah, where are there they getting, where do you get them? There seem to be a lot of milk crates How around. do you get all those milk I crates? No. And there's a lot. You have to, you know what I would do? What? Well, I'm not going to do the milk crate challenge because I don't want to hurt myself. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't like anything that's going to hurt myself. <laughs> Nothing. I don't even, I'm just afraid of everything. Uh-huh. But, um. Meanwhile, you did Fen Fen back in the day, but that's whatever. Well, that was, yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind I don't mind possibly exploding my heart if I can fit into a size zero from from Vivian Westwood. That's worth it. Yeah, well, that's worth it. I looked so good. Oh, God. But doing the milk. Well, you know what? I bet someone would go, hey, I looked good getting that, doing that milk crate no. challenge and nailing it. I look good. No. Um, but here's what you could do. What? You could build that milk crate thing mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and then exp- like they just do one row of it. What if right. you like length like made it deep, so you mm-hmm. just make a whole pyramid kind of thing, and so it sort of support has better support. Then it's not a challenge. That's the whole point. Yeah, it's but, the it's it's unsteady. Right, right. I would try to trick people, <laughs> and I would I would do, I'd have someone film it from the side, and have it totally stabilized. <laughs> so you would have it like each of them hot hot glued, hot glued together to and then other. cemented to the ground, and yeah. then you come go look at this, folks. It's amazing. <laughs> look how good I am. Did it. All right, challenge done, everybody. Oh my gosh! And then there's that like habanero pepper thing, or like eat those well, hot there's Doritos. A talk, there's, there's, there's a, a talk corn show. chip. There's well, a corn chip. Oh, the the ghost pepper. That comes in a package. My favorite one of those, and and maybe we can um, get some audio of this and we'll put it in between the segment. There's a, on, I believe it was Sky One, but it was a British news anchor and his co-anchor, these two British anchors, but the woman grew up in Ethiopia. So they both opened their- She was used to spicy foods. Very used to spicy foods. And she, what was great was they both start off and she's like, this is really hot. I mean, I'm not saying it's not hot, but, you know, and he's like, it, it's like, he's trying to keep pace with her because, and you can see he's melting down, like, I'm going to die. And she's at most is like kind of waving her hand over her face going, yeah, I mean, it makes you sweat. That's what your body does. And he's like, it is, it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty hot. It's, um, so you can like, are you feeling like dizzy? She goes, not dizzy, a little sweat, like. She, he's, she's kind of not, he's so wanting her to join him in his misery. And then he has to like lose it and he just walks upset like, I need Walter, I'm sorry. I, there's no way I can do it. And she's like, I guess it's kind of hot. Oh, I like, mm. you all right there, buddy? <clears throat> you okay? Mm-hmm. You need some water? <clears throat> You're Maybe not going to win. You want wow, finger looking good. Yeah, that was great. Jim, there's no shame. Mm-hmm. Turn around. Mm-hmm. It's tasty. A little aftertaste kind of hits you. No sweat. Uh-huh. Oh, God. I swallowed the rest of it. There is milk here. <laughs> Can we get oh. a close-up on his eyes? Oh, my God. I should also say, to be fair, Jim. Did you eat this? Oh, my God, yes. you did. I'm Ethiopian. My family is African. So I've been eating hot sauce since I was a baby. This isn't affecting you. <laughs> Look, you just gave me. Jim, it's okay. There's no shame. Oh, but the, ooh, the <clears throat> oh, it's affecting you. Well, I'm fine. It's just, it's, it's spicy. It's hot. You can just give up now and drink some milk. <laughs> You're literally sweating, Jim. You stop talking. Okay. Can we get a medic in here for Jim? Oh my gosh, those and, things And then are there's hot. the far end of that, the, the two, um, those two girls that I guess they had a regular YouTube channel where they would eat crazy things. And this one girl literally starts, like Vomit. they may have to call the ambulance and the mom, <laughs> she's up in the bedroom crying and the mom like walks to the bedroom and goes, not good, not fucking good. <laughs> it's so, her reaction is so perfect and it's immediate, this stuff is so. And I think they're down south, so they're like, yeah, we're used to hot Southern cooking. It's like, guys, this is something way different. Well, there, there's a whole show called Hot Ones where people eat, they have celebrities on. Idris Elba's done it. <gasps> Idris and, um, Elba did it? Idris Elba did How it. How did he do? He did pretty good. Um, 
David Cross, who I remember back in the day, always loved really, because he's from the deep south. He loves really spicy, crazy barbecue, crazy exotic food. Was he on the show? And he was on the show. And he, he even, he did really well till the end where there were a couple, he's like, how is this? This isn't even, pl- what's the point of this? You can't, yeah, what I don't is taste the, point the of it? I don't know. And, and it's all, it's just, because we can do it. Because it's bigger. Hmm. Yeah. I don't like spicy things. Oh, I love spicy things, but not on the level that that show gets I, to. I like mild spice. Oh, I like really good spice. There's, there's a place near us called Lucifer's Pizza, and if you want, they will do a fiery crust, and it's so good. I like spicy foods, but not that. But again, I like spicy foods where it aids in the cuisine. This is, there's no more cuisine anymore. You're not tasting the food. You're just you trying are to see how hot you are enduring this, and it's a... It's a like it's it's like a show off thing. Like, yeah. look, I did it. I made it. You're just well. That's to- not that's not what eating is. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Paul Rudd does one as well, and he again. It starts off pretty mild, and then near the last ones, you're like, oh, I I think I might die right now. I mean, I part I'm of me die. feels like should we do a challenge on a podcast <laughs> and just. Just see. I could probably get us invited on Hot Ones if you want no, to No, I don't want to be on the show. I don't want anyone seeing me burst into tears, <laughs> crying, and then throw up. I don't mind if we do it at home. And No, because this guy, the guy that does the Hot Ones show has access to, like, exotic, you can't get this stuff. It, he, he really is. He's like... He's like a he's like a very jovial, but he has this drug dealer's mentality of I got this stuff from Peru, and it only grows one week out of the year. It's this very rare snow heroin. Like it's the kind of stuff. Like that's the kind of well, stuff. Well, I would have. like to be on a show where you could try things you've never tried before, but not scary, not yucky. Like here's a spider. I don't want to eat a spider. Well, like no, he, fear factor. I would like to be on a show just like that fruit box. You guys, do you remember when I talked about the fruit oh. box that I ordered and it arrived and it was all moldy and terrible? Do you guys remember when I ordered that fruit box and it arrived moldy and then another company sent me the fruit and I was able to taste all these yummy fruits like this thing called soursop and- um, Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, this apple custard thing and, oh, it's the craziest fruits ever. I would love to be on a show where you could try things that are delicious that you can't get anywhere else and they just get it for you. But you don't want, an, you don't want a challenge aspect to it. No, I just want to taste everything. Mm. Like yummy stuff, not something gross. I'm going to get us on Hot Ones together. No. Yeah, <laughs> get us on Hot Ones. Just see your nose running. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Some of these, like, they, they taste it and they immediately... Every pore just starts leaking. It's like, what, and that what is, so is the gross. point of this? That is gross. All right. Well, I'm going to have a nice glass of cool water. And we'll be right back. Um, I sent you this great video that I love. Um, it's a very short video of the actor Will Smith talking about uh, why he turned down The Matrix. And... Um, and that's a thing. He was basically offered the Matrix. He had just done um, Men in Black. He, had, you know, he was also coming off of Independence Day. Oh, get Will Smith. He's a friggin' the guy's a movie star. Oh, I mean, period, 100%. He's a movie star. And so, drop dead gorgeous. But it's one of those things where, from from the outside of it, you're like, oh, you turned down the Matrix. You must be kicking yourself. But he tells this really interesting story about the pitch meeting that he had with the Wachowski brothers was really bad. He goes, they didn't pitch the movie well, and it didn't fill me with confidence. The way he describes it, too, is so funny. It's like, we're going to have, like, all these cameras, and, like, 
you're like you're gonna you're like, jump, you'll and jump you'll, in the air and but, you'll just stay there but it'll be like you'll like be spinning and it, like and he's just like i don't know what the directors knew exactly what they wanted they they had the technology vision in their head they knew what they could do but describing that new technology to an actor or anyone who's never seen it before is absolutely impossible to describe. So when they were saying like, you're going to jump up and you're just going to stay there and you're going to like float and we'll be able to float all around you and see everything around you. And he's, and then Will Smith was like, what? Well, he just like, I don't, I don't know. Like he, again, probably being as polite and charming as he always is, but he gently turned them down. And then there's this pause in the video and he goes, and I did the wild wild west instead. And then and he's and he's laughing. He's like, and um, look, I'm not proud of it. And he talked about the day. He does this great thing. Was the day after I was like walking around malls, walking up to people in the food court, going, "Hey, I'm sorry about that. Okay, I'm sorry about that. We're working on a working on Men in Black too. It's going to be okay. Okay, I got other stuff going on. Oh man, like because he. But but then here's what was really interesting. And I've also heard this same thing said by Charlton Heston. And, and I'm so I, I just love this. He's like. Um, they wanted me to play Neo, the Keanu Reeves role, and they wanted Val Kilmer to play Morpheus, the Lawrence Fishburne role. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up going with Keanu as Neo. And and he goes, and it wouldn't, I don't think it would have worked with me. I could have ruined the Matrix for you guys and you wouldn't have all these sequels. So you're welcome. Right. Because that, like he, he the one of the reasons he's such a giant movie star is because you do get to a level where you understand what it is about you that works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And years ago, I saw this great interview with Charlton Heston where he said, you know, he was offered Cool Hand Luke and then he was offered uh, Butch Casting the Sundance Kid, um, which he both turned down. And they're like, and you know, Paul Newman, like it just made it. And he goes, yeah, those movies worked because Paul Newman took the part. Right. It wouldn't have worked with me. Yeah. And, and he like wasn't- when you did the movie Young Adult with Charlize Theron and they offered your part to Tom Cruise and- <laughs> Well, I mean, it, a, it wouldn't have worked because you're like, why is it a big deal for her to sleep with that guy? That's right. fine. I'm well, joking. But no- Everybody, I mean- I'm joking because the joke is Patton's character is not a total babe. Well, I mean- Look, I was all, it was down to me and Judah Friedlander for a movie called um, American Splendor, where he plays um, uh, Harvey P. Carr's friend, Toby. And and, and I, I love the American Splendor comics. I'm a huge Harvey P. Carr fan. I really wanted to work with Paul Giamatti. And I thought I did a good job. And then I saw the movie and I was like, thank God Judah got that part. He did so much better. And he, like, I, I would, as much as an actor, yes, I want to do good stuff. But I'm also a movie buff and a comic book fan. So I want to see it done well. Yeah. So I don't want to be the guy that comes in and helps, doesn't help the movie be great. Well, there are two things. So God, he was so good. He was so good in that. There's one part where you audition for it and it's like between you and someone else and mm-hmm. they get it like the Will, you know, whatever. Right. Will Smith didn't get it, the other guy got it. And you're like, oh man, I wish I got that. And then it's even worse if you get something and you have to say no. And then oh. it like haunts you for the rest of your life. I, I remember <laughs> there, I have had to say no to some movies and say yes to other movies at the same time. Just like Will Smith was like, and I did Wild Wild West instead of The Matrix. You said no to three pretty iconic films. Well, I didn't say no to say anything. I just had to t- dream a little dream told me first, like you got the part, do you want to do it? And I was waiting to hear if the say anything 
thing was going to happen or mm-hmm. not. And they were like, you have to tell us by the end of today. And I was like, we don't know yet about <laughs> say anything. And then like, they're, and my, my agents are like, you have to answer them. What, what are you doing? I'm like, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to get the other one. So, okay. Yes. And then two days later it was like, you got to say anything. And I'm like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. You know what? Look, that, that was I don't want to get in your head, but that will ha- that must haunt you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that'll haunt you. But again, my dear friend Ioni was in that and she's fabulous and amazing. Right. And it was amazing with her in it, who maybe I would have been terrible. And by the way, John Cusack and I did the movie The Journey of Natty Gan together and having us paired up again in another movie and with the energy that we had on the first movie, maybe, <laughs> my, maybe perhaps it would have sucked. Might not have been too good. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't have been good. Could have been terrible. Um, I also uh, turned down the lead in the first season of Fargo. I know. That, but that was because- that makes me mad. Well, it doesn't make me mad, A, because- um, I know why you did it. Well, it was, Martin Freeman was amazing. He was amazing, and I'm so glad someone else did it because he it was, was actually so brilliant. amazing. It was brilliant. The reason I turned it down was I had just become a dad, and Alice was, and it would have meant me being up in like Canada. Ottawa, but like way remote- uh-huh. Canada uh, for like six months, and there and I couldn't bring my wife and daughter with me because she had really at the time Michelle was really into, into writing that book. I'm like, I'm not going to uproot you to the wilds of Canada during the winter. And also, <laughs> right before this, you had been traveling so much, working yeah. that at one point Alice said to Michelle, oh, "Do you remember?" Patton? Yeah, like I was a guy <laughs> that hung call, around the house. Yeah. She didn't even call you daddy. She goes, do you remember that guy Patton? Do you remember Patton? And I was like, yeah, no. So <laughs> I, I I turned down, um, it would have been six to eight months. And I mean, yeah, it's a, it is, it's a, it was a brilliant season. It's a brilliant series. Yeah, and Martin Freeman w- But Martin was Freeman amazing. was so God so, damn yeah, brilliant, Matt. So listen, all right. it ends up how it's supposed it to all, end it, it all, it, it evens out. It's, it's where it's supposed to be. Right. Yeah, so that, that that doesn't really that doesn't really bother me. Yeah, like Tom Cruise was like, "Will you marry me?" And I was like, "I'm waiting to hear if Patton wants to marry me. Just give me a couple days." And <laughs> no, 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 it's the a- other way around. You asked me, and I was like, "Is Tom gonna ask?" Mm, you know what? I don't know if he's gonna say yes. I gotta say yes. To I gotta this say one. yes to Patton. Tom, look, I love the Mission Impossible movies. There's a solid road feature that wants to uh, marry me, so I gotta say yes. But yeah, that whole thing, and again, that's one of my big. Things again as a movie buff are all the people that almost got certain roles or almost did, you know, something that. What would that have been like? Would it have been better or worse? Um, you know, back, I remember back in the day um, uh, when Dangerous Liaisons was on stage in the West End, um, the part of Valmont that was played in the film brilliantly by John Malkovich, but when it was on stage, it was played by a very young Alan Rickman, which must have been oh, yeah. amazing. And then. When um, Amadeus was first touring, um, uh, the 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 road the the touring company Salieri was played by F. Murray Abraham, and he got the movie. And thank God he did; he's incredible. But the original role of Salieri was played by um, Ian McKellen, which that must have been amazing to see. Like it's one of the things that. No, he didn't make the movie, but if I could go back in time, there's a lot of performance I would go back in time and see, just to see what that must have been like. Yes. I wouldn't save Kennedy. I wouldn't save Lincoln. I would go watch Robert Duvall in the original run of uh, Wait Until Dark. That's what I would go see. <laughs> well, you just said you wouldn't save Kennedy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you, yeah. 
Although, he, there, although there's a brilliant Stephen King book called 112263 where a guy- A book is called 112263? Yeah. Stephen, Stephen King novel. That's came the out like, name of the book? 112263. What was that about? What? A date that happened clearly. 112263. That, that's not significant to you? Ele- is that when Kennedy was killed? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know the exact date. Oh, boy. Um, so he goes back in time and he prevents- Kennedy from being assassinated. Am I stupid right now for not knowing that exact date? Is that like, I don't know. There, there I was, think people are like, oh my God, Kennedy was shot. Do you remember that? Do you remember? Oh, I remember her dress. I remember what happened. I remember all the, but I didn't remember the exact date. I think date. people remember the date over the dress. No, they would not. <laughs> I think they do. The, pill, the pink pillbox hat. Mm-hmm. People remember that more than they remember the date. Well, guys, get on that speak pipe. Oh my God! Here's a little um, here's a little anecdote for you. Uh, years and years and decades ago, I dated someone, and then later on, you dated someone. I look, hey, you know, Jeez. I'm not Amish. And um, years later, we were just talking casually, and I made a joke about um, Lee Harvey Oswald, and then she said, um, "This girl that I dated for a while said, um, Are you related? No, she said, um, Hey, you know, you never see like interviews with him.'" Like, are, is he still in prison or what's he doing? Like, no one gets his side of the story. And I, w- I thought she was joking. And I said, oh, he's getting parole. He's going to do Oprah next week. And she goes, well, you think I would have read about it? I mean, why isn't that in the papers everywhere? And I realized, oh, my God. And I went, um, he was shot in front of, and let me be precise, everybody. It's the most famous murder in history. And then, she, and then she said, I'm not into all this conspiracy stuff like you are. Conspiracy. And I was like, there's no conspiracy in being shot on live television. A dude shot him. What are you talking about? How did I date you for that long? How, how long did you date her? Uh, way too long. Anyway. Her, you, don't tell me her name, but how long did you date her? I'm not going to say. Tell me. I don't want to disparage anyone, but it was a you weird to, like. You're not disparaging anyone. You're not saying her name. I just want to know how it long. It was a, a long time. You suck. I'll tell you off air. I'll, I'll give you your answer off the air. Um, we want to share everything with our listeners. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, <laughs> Why not? So so hang on. Oh, so you man. got. Well, there you, we go. No, I'm not. I'm just. You were almost in say anything. Uh-huh. And then what were the other two you turned down? There were two that you turned down. Well, I didn't turn them down. My mother wouldn't let me do them. Oh, when they, those were? That was River's Edge. Brilliant Because movie. it dealt with drugs, mm-hmm. pot and everything. And um, the Heathers, which was about suicide. Oh. My mom wouldn't let me do them. Heathers, which could not be. They tried to make a TV series out of it. In fact, I think they may have even filmed the first season and then um, they shelved friend, it because Andy, of all the school shootings. My friend Andy Fickman is a director. He directed a movie with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson called Race to Witch Mountain, which I was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a musical, the Heathers musical. Oh, yeah, he did wow. it on Broadway or I don't know where he did it. I know that a few years ago they tried to do it as a TV series and it's like, yeah. we, you can't do that anymore. You just can't, it's too late. Because oh. of all the school shootings. It just, there's no way to make it work. Oh. Or, or at least they couldn't make it work. I'm still waiting for someone to have the balls to try to do film Stephen King's first ever novel that he wrote under the name Richard Bachman. This what before, was the first novel? The first novel before Carrie, it was called Rage. And it's about a student who who goes on a, Brings a gun to school, kills the teacher, starts killing the popular kids, and the other kids take his side. Wow. Yeah, and actually, like, nice. Like, that's kind of how it ends. You're like, whoa! And so it's, I guess you can't make that movie. I 
it would be a little hard to pull that off. I mean, you would have to be, you would have to be the most amazing tonal tightrope walker on the planet to pull that off. Right. I mean, anything is doable, but you can't, you can't just make a, a sloppy run at it. You know, it's either gonna, you know, it, I, I can't imagine how you do that. Well, Although then again, everyone's like, there's no way to make a novel about Lolita and Stanley Kubrick did. So there you go. Well, the problem is you don't want to highlight and praise the the killer the, exactly. who kills kids and exactly. teachers. Exactly. Although keep in mind through in the eighties, friggin' Freddy Krueger had a, a kid show and a, um, there was like a like a spooky show where Freddy Krueger was like the host and he was like this iconic thing and people forget that he was he's like a, a child molesting burn victim thing. Like people forget that Freddy Krueger had a kids show? He had like it was like it was like a like a Freddy Krueger's haunts or something, but it was like for you know, like teens Pee-wee's or something. Big Adventure? No, he would like introduce like it was like an anthology series, but he'd be the guy like, Hey, hey kids, it's Freddy Krueger. Well, that's and like he would the- make funny jokes and you're like Dude, it's a child molester. That's like the Crypt Keeper. What do you mean he's a child molester? The Freddy Krueger character, the reason he was dead was because he was molesting all the kids in the neighborhood and the parents killed him and threw him in a furnace. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. See, it's like the Harvey Oswald thing. You're dating someone who didn't know that. Um, <laughs> um, I sent you kind of a cryptic picture. Of? Boy, that sounds like a great 90s band, doesn't it? Cryptic picture. Um, uh, our stack of parenting books that is- Oh, uh, yeah under the table in our bedroom. And um, look, th- this is this is a-, a Do you want con- to tell the names of the books? I, I mean, I have the picture here. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's a stack of parenting books. How to Raise a Happy Eight-Year-Old. Yeah, all how the- to t- But all those books I bought when we first got married, not that I'm not the best auntie in the world mm-hmm. and have nine kids in my life that I love <laughs> more than anything in the world. Yeah. But when we got married, my best friend was like, um, you should- because it was overwhelming at first. It was yeah. a lot right away. Mm-hmm. And my friend's like, you need to read this book. And, and she bought me all these parenting books. Now, meanwhile, she knows I'm an amazing parent slash role model, whatever to her Auntie kids. Mayor extraordinaire. I'm anti, there's a hashtag on Twitter, Auntie mm-hmm. Mayor extraordinaire. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, hashtag Obama and kids. <laughs> you can see mine too. Hashtag Auntie Mayor extraordinaire. Anyway, she was like, you need to read this. You need to read this. You need to read this. So we bought all the books. We do not, I did not read them. No. Because I have an intuitive, natural sense with kids. But not only that, but even before we had this stack of books, when Alice was first born, I had a whole other stack of books of how to, the toddler years and handy dad. And like, I had nothing but books on how to raise kids and keep them active. And what you realize is, I mean, maybe this is a confession. I don't think I'm confessing to anything bad. You're so busy with the moment to moment of raising them, that it amazes me that so many kids' books get written and published and purchased. I feel like they're purchased to be displayed in a stack, like look at no. the good parenting. No. But most parents, I think that they're all just kind of running to catch up. I've never read a single one. I've I've never read a single one of these parenting books and I'm not putting parenting books down. I'm just saying I'm so busy being a parent, I don't have time to sit down Wait and read second. the instructions. Here's the thing. You happen to have the most incredible child on the planet. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have trouble with their kids at certain ages or certain stages, or how do I get them to stop throwing tantrums, or how do I get them to do this? Or a teenager who's, you know, having... There are books that help people deal with things. And if you're not a natural uh, caregiver or someone who's amazing with kids, those are really helpful. 
It just so happens you are a really good dad naturally, and she is a phenomenal child, and she doesn't really cause any, there's not a lot of issues with her. She's incredible. And so why would you read the books when everything's really going smoothly, other than to give you tips on, think about what kind of child you want to raise. You want to raise an independent, strong woman who's smart and thoughtful and caring to other people, and you want to model that behavior and help them flourish and give them advice and be there for them and just be there with them. Well, I wasn't saying this to brag about my skills or how awesome Alice is. Well, I am. I'm just saying that, I mean, when I was first a dad, I, did, I mean, I didn't know what to do, but I was. I would always talk to other parents and ask friends. It was more anecdotal folk wisdom than well, me, maybe going, a lot of people me don't. going, hey, you sit down, you get, go over there, baby. I need a couple hours to read this book to figure out what to do with you. You know, I just didn't. I've just never read a parenting book. And I'm like, could she have been an even better kid if I'd read all these parenting books? Well, first of all, you wouldn't say, hey, kid, go sit there while I read this for three hours. You'd, you'd read it when the kid was in bed. First yeah. of all, you're not like taking time away from parenting to read right. a book. You read a billion yeah, books. Yeah, but when you're a new parent, when the kid goes down, you go down. You don't go, well, she's asleep. Now I'm going to take, no, you're like, oh God, I got to catch whatever sleep I can. This is exhausting. Yes, but if you're, needing help and advice and guidance. And by the way, asking your friends is the same thing as someone maybe picking up a book because maybe people don't have friends in their circle that have children to give advice, to, to get advice from. So there's people who don't, who don't have a huge community of people. And so books are really important and mm -hmm. books are important anyway. There's always a tip you can learn I'm, from. Look, I'm not, again, You're just I'm saying not you didn't putting down parenting books, guidebooks. I'm amazed that, that, and there's really good ones out there, I'm sure. I'm just, I'm like, I had this weird twinge of guilt looking at this giant stack going, I never read any of these. Yeah. Should I have read these? Is there, you know what, it, you know what it makes me real? Like, it's like when I get a, when I get a computer, there's tutorials you can take to learn to use all of its features. <laughs> and you just go and accept, like, accept, how do next, I, how next, do I, just, I just, I just got to open up Microsoft Word and how do I email a picture to someone? That's all I, I I'm done. Like, I don't, I'm not going to sit here right. and learn, you know, and then I'll, and then I'm going to get a computer guy to come in and just fix it. How does this happen? I've had to have our guy to come in to remind me how to back up my computer. I keep forgetting how to do it. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's pathetic. It would have been so great if we had just started fresh with a computer at the beginning instead of like taking pictures and developing them and having a million pictures in a box that have now yellowed. Mm -hmm. And then you want to, you know, it, all these people that have their stuff already uploaded and organized and made little folders. Yeah. When I first got my computer, I would make little folders of everybody, like I'd, my mom, my dad, my sister, my nieces, my best friends. They'd have all you scanned all your old photos? No. No. I have a whole thing. You've got like, she has, she has like shelves of books the way like Gandalf has books in the Lord of the Rings movies. He's giant. They look like wizard's tomes of f photographing everything you've ever done. Just like book after book after book. Well, I had a lot of experiences. And so when I was like on each movie when my that I did, my mom, because I was mm -hmm. a child, she came with me. Mm -hmm. So when I did the movie Annie, my mom was on set taking pictures of us, uh, my sister mm -hmm. and I were both mm -hmm. orphans. And so we have pictures of from that time. And then when I did the journey of Natty Gann, I have like two huge photo albums of that whole experience. And so it's, I, a, it's amazing. You didn't like do, go the Jeff Bridges route and get like a really professional camera and take it to set and start taking your own. You ever seen his set photographs? They're fantastic. Yeah. They're really interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do that. 
I did get a video camera in college. Really? And then I would film a lot. Yeah. I've shown you little clips of stuff, like Matt Damon and I doing the hustle. Oh, yeah, did yeah. Did I show you that? <laughs> yeah. Because we funny. met first day of freshman year. Doing the hustle. Doing the hustle. Um, but, yeah, I do have lots of photographs. I just wish everything was organized the way we could have done it if things had been done from the beginning, setting it up perfectly. But now it's mm-hmm. like, ugh, this will take forever. Exactly. Yeah, there, there's certain things where I'm like, I can't spend my time um, I can't spend my time reorganizing my archives because I want to just make new stuff. Like someone else can do that. I don't have time, you know. And I have days where I'm like, I'm going to go in and organize. No, I'm like, I don't. Uh, I'd rather what was the thing that new. started this conversation? Was talking about this giant stack of parenting books. And oh, the never- stack of parenting books. And that is Patton's rabbit hole. Ah. There's well, so much stuff you just end up, people, I think you end up, most of the stuff- I'm also saying this to build confidence. Most of the things you're going to do in life, you'll be about 60% ready to do it. And then you, the rest, you'll just learn by doing it. Just yeah. get in there and start doing it. But the you'll parenting be fine. books have, <laughs> I just sent you a picture of Alice in a, in a dressing room. She, mm-hmm. I was, ha- I took her shopping for school Oh yeah. to go school shopping. And we have not been in a store or anything in two years. In literally two years. Yeah. And yeah. everything I've, any clothes that she's worn, I've ordered online. Yeah. But the problem is she went off to camp and was in the sun and having fun and she grew like a billion inches. Oh my God, I know. And so nothing fits her. Her shoes, I had to order shoes and they'd be too small. I'd have to send them back. Thank you to all the delivery people, by the way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And the cardboard box makers, my Lord. You guys work really <laughs> hard. But anyway, I was taking Alice shopping and I was just having flashbacks to when my mom would take me shopping for school when Aww. I was little. And we'd go shopping and we'd get a whole bunch of stuff and bring it in the dressing room. And my mom, of course, was always like, I want you to look a certain way. And she'd get these cute little wool sweaters. And Mm -hmm. I'd be like, it's itchy. It's too itchy. I can't wear this. Or she's like, look at this cute little blazer. I'm like, it's too tight. I can't move my arms. Every, (laughs) everything she gave me. I was always just, I really am a tactile person. Everything has to be very comfortable for me to be happy. You know. So isn't that a little dicey for you though, ordering stuff online? Because some, some sometimes things will look okay online and it, you get it and it's like, oh, this isn't comfy. Right, which is why I just thank the delivery people for returning so many of the things <laughs> that I've ordered that are not that don't fit or feel no, weird or whatever. No. But I took all these pictures of Alice in these little outfits and I was just thinking to myself, she was trying on some things and she and I said, if you love it, you can have it. Whatever you love, you can have. Because I was buying her clothes that she's like, you bought this for me and you said I just had to wear it for camp because I needed shorts, but they're ugly and they're not cute. And I was like, damn, all right. Well, you you pick what you- She was okay when we sent her off with them. I I mean, you know what? I'll tell you what happened. What? She was at camp and she met other cool girls and Uh, they were wearing something. And so now she probably thinks- Who wants that? She wants that or who knows. But I was very much remembering my time as a child and very much wanting her- to choose the things that she wanted and that were comfortable. Yeah. I wasn't forcing anything on her. That's smart. I mean, again, that's kind of how I am uh, being, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, a nerd dad. I don't want to be 
the sports dad version of the nerd dad going, you are going to sit down and you are going to watch all of these Star Wars. And then you're going to like, if she's interested in something, that's fine. But if she's not into it, I'm like, oh, fine. Like I've, sh- I showed her Star Wars and she never got into it. So I didn't go. And now you're going to watch Empire. She's no, like, now no. you do. Now we're going to watch Spider-Man far from home. And now well, we're going to watch Because she loves Marvel Spider-Man and- because she has a crush on him. She loves those. She doesn't have a crush on Tom Holland. I have a crush on Tom So Holland. does she. Eh. Mm. Uh, it's mm. me. It's mostly me. I'm not forcing and I'm not forcing any realms on her. I haven't made her sit down and watch The Lord of the Rings or any stuff like that. It's like the stuff I think she'll like. You haven't forced a realm on her yet. Yeah. But you've but you've definitely I've you haven't I, forced anything on her, but you I, do I've, say I've opened up the doors to realms, and if she doesn't go through them, that's fine. You invite her to watch all the nerdy things you like. Exactly. And because she loves you so much, she watches them. But there's been a couple times she's like, not into this, and then I turn it off. Right, like Jaws. <gasps> she wanted to see Jaws so badly, and then it scared her halfway through, and she's like, I, I'm, we don't need to watch this. Well, she, I was in no way did I want, I, did, I actively didn't want her to watch Jaws, but then all of her friends went and saw it because- um, uh, their parents, I guess, weren't really thinking about the movie. And then she goes, I want to watch Jaws now. So, and But it was the classic. Again, this is a, we saw the kid version of the very famous story about Jaws that shows you why it's such a great movie. She watched the first hour, got so freaked out. We all watched it together. She goes, can we turn this off? Like, I don't like this. And then two days went by. And then she goes, can we watch the rest of that movie? Yeah. And then she loved it. Um, there's a very, very famous story um, about a preview screening of Jaws it's Zanuck and uh, Steven Spielberg are in the lobby of this theater. They're doing a preview screening. Halfway through the movie, a guy runs into the lobby, throws up all over the place, oh. and then cleans himself off, goes back in the theater and finishes watching the movie. What movie was it? Jaws. Oi. One of the preview screenings. And Zanuck looks over at Spielberg and goes, this movie's going to make a lot of money, kid. <laughs> because if someone, if, if it scares him so badly that he vomits out of fear, but, but he's like, wants to see it so I bad. gotta go see the rest of this thing. Like, that, that's a good movie. That's a good movie. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is our moment to listen to your voicemails that you left us on SpeakPipe, and um, we're going to answer them. Are you excited? I can't wait. <laughs> let's, let's hear from our listeners. All right. We're going to start with this one. Hi, guys. It's Mindy from Los Angeles, and being the incurable romantic that I am, I wondered, um, what do you guys most frequently argue about? <laughs> and how do you make it up to each other when you are in the wrong? Also, comma, um, what's the most romantic thing that you guys do for each other on, I don't want to say a daily basis, but a weekly basis or often? In other words, yes, Busybody Inc. Mindy wants to know what your love languages are and how you demonstrate that to each other. Okay, enough said. Adore you guys. Oh my gosh. First of all, I love that question. Yeah. That's really great. It's really sweet. Um, um I would can I start? The thing we fight about most is interrupting <laughs> each other and not letting the other one start. Go ahead. <laughs> That's not true. Um, first of all, I'm not gonna say what we fight about first. I want to go to what romantic thing we do for each other. Um why don't we start I, with the fighting thing and then we end on the nice romantic thing? Dude, rather why than- can't I start on the thing that I want to start on? All right, go ahead. 
geez, what do we fight about? I don't know, stupid <laughs> shit like that. Um, no, I have to say this because it really, I have to say that one of the most romantic things that you do for me is such a small, innocuous thing, but it is the sweetest every single day or every night rather, I'll be like, come upstairs, come upstairs. You're like, I'm just getting the coffee ready for you in the morning. You always get my coffee ready for me and you don't even drink coffee and it's the sweetest thing in the world and I love it. And I was at my friend's house the other day and we were having wine in her backyard and her husband was making her coffee. And I said, wait, does Kobe drink coffee? And she said, no. And I said, he makes you coffee too? And she said, yeah, every night. And I said, oh my God, Patton loves doing that for me. And she said, well, he doesn't love doing it for me. (laughs) (laughs) But you do do that and it's incredibly sweet. And I do, it's just so thoughtful. I like knowing that you're waking up. I just, there's that nice- The best part of waking up. Actually, the worst part of waking up would be Folgers in your cup. Are you kidding? <gasps> Freeze-dried instant crystals that would, oh my, when am I in prison? Um, no, but I love that. Why yeah, that? I mean, the, the thing with me is I just, I love the comfort of routine, like knowing, yeah, there's there's and a lot of also, chaos. you also, wait, sorry, one more thing. Oh. You also always do the dishes. Yes, I always do the dishes. That is the nicest thing. Yeah. But you all, you like to do it because it's zen for you. It's very, very zen. But it is also a romantic me. gesture, I believe. Um. I mean, I just like to, I like for when you get up in the morning, when you come down to the kitchen, everything is orderly and you can at least start from zero rather than walking into a kitchen first thing in the morning and there's a pile of dirty dishes and the visual of that adds to the chaos that's already in your head. But you walk down, it's a nice clean kitchen and there's a hot pot of coffee. Okay, I at least have a solid basis to start from. Yeah, but That's you, a great thing to have for But someone. you make that solid basis for me. <clears throat> for you. That's what exactly. I'm yeah, because you got to. Well, I mean, you you did. You took such a big leap uh, with me and Alice and all that. So it, it is. It is truly the least I can do. Well, that's not all you do, but that's one yeah. little thing that you do all the time that really makes me happy. There are millions of little things you do all the time that piss me off. Oh my god. <laughs> um, you want to know what we fight about? How about this one? He forgets to lock the doors, and I keep saying, "Are is it?" Do I have to go through every night before bed to check all the doors that they're locked so we don't get murdered, number one, so Mm -hmm. you put stress on me. Mm -hmm. Number two, when you do do the dishes, and it's so sweet, it's the nicest thing in the world, but God damn it, don't leave the sponge in the sink all wet and gross. Squeeze out the water and put it in the little sponge thing so it'll dry nicely and not be smelly and moldy for the next person who's gonna do it. I don't like that. Mm. What else do we fight about? I also, oh, <laughs> there's so many things. Sorry. Well, let me, wait, let, wait, let wait, me t- the, go. Um, we also fight, and this one is big, about your usage of your phone. Do not pull your phone out at the dinner table. Do not pull your phone out at a party. It infuriates me. Infuriates me. It's bad manners. Mm-hmm. And I just can't stand when you have bad manners. Okay. Um, so that's what he does loving and what drives me crazy that we fight about. The loving things that uh, Meredith does, there's never, a, what's, what's amazing is- There's it's never not, any. <laughs> no, no, it's not a specific thing. It is this ongoing, what is the best thing right now to elevate whatever it is we are doing? She's always looking out for me and Alice's advantage. Oh, it'd be nicer if you did this. I think you'd be more comfortable if you had this. If you, She's always- um, sometimes it can. It, sometimes I get annoyed by it, but when you look at where the motivation of it is coming from, is she's not 
thinking of herself first. She is always wanting you oh, to be I your think best. You'd like this. I think you'd like this. Try wear these shoes. You'd look so much better than this. I got this thing for Alice. Alice, try, like it, it, it's never done in a nagging way. It's done in this. I'm so excited to see you shine. Yes. Um. So it's there's not a. I cannot give you a specific. Um, action or event because it's just this ongoing, you just feel like someone is rooting for you all the time. And That's it's true. it's an amazing, amazing feeling to have. I do like to be the wind beneath people's wings. Yes. And you know, I did it for so long and I still do it for my friends, yeah. but I only had my friends to do it for, of course, and family. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a husband to do it for or a baby. And now I do, and it's extra, extra good because mm. I help formulate her life. And it's really sweet. That means a lot to me. It's really sweet. But I, mean, I, I did do one fun romantic thing recently. What was that? I, I kidnapped you. Oh, yeah, you little weekend away. That was nice. We I needed- said to him, I said, I need three days of your time, and I'm going to kidnap you. And then he said, okay, well, what do I need? And I said, well, do you have a winter coat and a passport? And Oh, she kept like, yeah, and you said, fooling me. And you said, do I need those? And I said, no, you don't need those. And then the next day I said, okay, do you have uh, scuba gear <laughs> and, and a bathing suit? And you said, do I need those? And I was like, well, you need the bathing suit. You don't need the scuba gear. <laughs> and then I kidnapped you and I, and I drove and tricked you. And took yeah. you to a nice little vacation. It was really sweet. And the way it, it was, was really all set sweet. up, it was very, very, it was, as they say in the spy game, really good trade craft. Did not know what was coming until it happened. I know. It was so very well done. That was romantic. Now, what do we fight about? The only thing, I mean, the thing that, that's kind of ongoing with me, with her, and, and, and I, again, I know where it comes from, but it's annoying and rude, <gasps> is if I am telling a story or someone's Alice telling a story. If a thought enters Meredith's head, she has to say it and blur it out, even though someone else is talking and it is very, and I know that the reason is that, well, I'll forget it later. It's like, well then work on your brain because it's not. Sorry. She, and (laughs) you just got to see it happen. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, Wait, wait, what? The reason I, in those moments that you're talking about, I know what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but in those moments, it's because there's something happening at that moment that needs to be said. For no, exa- yes, absolutely not. Yes, it does. And I'll give you two no, examples let me, of things. Please. That, again, you're watching it happen. Let me just say. Go ahead. For example, if it's like dinner time mm-hmm. and you're telling a story to Alice, mm-hmm. but there's something that's like uh, cooking or something, and I'm like, sorry to interrupt. Wait, wait, wait. Um, do you want some of this, or I'm going to put it away? By the way, I'm sorry. That's what it is. You don't say sorry to interrupt. Okay, fine. I go, you just blurt things out. Right. And, the, and by the way, but in the that last moment, time, because if I'm putting something away, like, are, are you guys going to eat any more of this? You're like, I'm talking. This is not what I'm talking about. Ugh, yes, it is. This though. is absolutely not what I'm talking about. The other night we're at the table, and I'm saying something, and and when Meredith tells a story, I listen to it. When Alice says something, I listen to it. I start telling a story, and in the middle of it. She just goes, what's that stain on the table? Okay. There's like this other, some stain where it's like, I, I don't know. It can easily be cleaned up. Are you? And, and it makes the person feel like you're not listening to me because you're, as you're talking, they're looking around the room. And then another time we were driving wait, over. Wait, wait, let's no, pause. Again. Just pause. Once like, again. What? I just wanted to say, that's true. In that moment, I saw a stain on the table and I was like, what? Because I. No way you can remember that for later? I could have. Yeah, that's exactly. What I'm you're right. I did interrupt you about that. But it, was, but it was looking at me and infuriating. So what? I was seething with rage oh that there was a spot on the table. <laughs> We're driving to her parents one Sunday. Oh, no. And I'm telling say? a story. Oy. 
and we drive by her elementary school, which we've driven by a million times, and which she has pointed out a million times, that was my elementary school. We know. And once again, we're driving by it. I'm going, hey, there was, and she goes, that's the school I went to elementary school in. Like, just, <laughs> it's like, I see it, I have to say it. It's, it's like this chatty Kathy doll. And I'm like, there's no, A, we already know this. You've pointed this out a million times. B, even if you need to point it out again, there's no way you can remember to say that when I'm done with my story. And then literally in the next 30 seconds, I'm getting to the end of it. I'm just about to bring it home. That's the school I went to elementary school in. Okay, first of all, don't make me sound like that. Oh my God. Well, that's how it sounds okay, when it hits maybe, my ears. Okay, but maybe the conversation happens like that because you'll just start telling a story and it's like forever and forever and it goes on forever. So what? The other person's talking. Let them talk. Okay. When you talk, sometimes your stories go on and I let you talk. They don't. My stories don't go on. I'm oh aware of the timing. Oh my God, they do. Yes, they do, sweetie. And you're polite and you don't. let the other person talk. Ugh. That's Thanks the for most, the question, Mindy. The most basic politeness. <laughs> hey, you know what, Mindy? Those are the facts of life. <laughs> All right, go. Play the next one. <laughs> that was funny. Listen, Mindy, when you're in a relationship, you take the good, you take, you the, take bad. the bad, you take them both, and there you have the Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, Patton. Go. Okay, here's another one. This one's from Noah. Hey, Meredith. Hey, Patton. This is Noah from Minneapolis. Meredith, I want to hear your side of the events that led to you leaving that note on Patton's windshield that said, stop, get out of your car, walk to the park bench in front of you. I love you. And if you can't remember what the topic of your argument was, or if it's too personal, I'd love just to hear a general track list of the greatest hits of the Patton and Meredith Marital Spats album, like a side A and a side B. Because um, I'm single and all my friends are married, and I find the topics of their marital spats endlessly fascinating. I love you both, Patton. I uh, can't wait to see you in November. And lastly, cauliflower mashed potatoes are not my tempo. Thanks. Bye. First off, Noah, it sounds like you're taking Freud pleasure in uh, <laughs> listening to your married friends and all the fights they have while you're while you're lonely. I think it's a great thing because it reminds you, I was single for 47 years and I uh, was like, oh, if you look at their spats, you're like, oh, thank God I don't have to deal with that. And then you can be happy and not upset that you're single. Um, and you shouldn't at, be. At the expense of someone else's happiness. No, but seriously, right after we got married, like maybe a month in, I literally called all my single friends and I was like, you guys, seriously, just <laughs> Stay single. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> this is so much responsibility. This is so much work. Um, so I'm saying to you, Noah, enjoy your singledom. Um, I'm sure you will find your soulmate at one point. But the majority of our fights, uh, we just talked about them. We just answered Mindy's question regarding yeah, some yeah. of our fights. But um, the stop, get out of your car, <laughs> note leaving thing. Um I still was furious when I left him that note, but I knew that I had to go back home and deal with being married. And I thought, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna leave a note that uh, ends this fight. But when I wrote it in all caps with those heavy lines, I was still sort of like pissed that I had to apologize. I didn't apologize. I just wanted to end the fight by saying I love you. So I was just like, ugh, this sucks. I want to end this stupid fight, but just. Get out of your car. Let's talk about this shit. So your mindset was, let's end this battle, but the war goes on. Exactly. <laughs> I, there you go, Noah. Yeah, so there's that. Don't get married. <laughs> let's do another one. All right. Hey, Salinger. Hey, Patton. It's Brandy and Ali. 
So we were wondering what episode of Star Wars we should start our eight-year-old son on. Should we start him on episode four, the way we all originally watched it as kids? Or do we start at one and go one, two, three, four, and so on? Love you. Bye. Oh, that message was from my dear friend, Brandy Ledford Davudian. Um, Brandy, thank you for calling in, you gorgeous girl. Um, that's such a good question. and I'm going to answer it in the nerdiest way I know possible. I, well, I'd like to give my opinion first, only because you have such a vast knowledge of Star Wars mm-hmm. so intricately that then you could probably go on longer. But mm-hmm. I say start at episode four. Because that's how everybody saw it. That's how you fall in love with it. That was the main number one thing. And go from there. Do the first three, then do those next three, and then continue. Um, And, yeah, I love Star Wars. Um, I did not. I love Star Wars. (laughs) I love Star Wars. Um, I love Star Wars. I did not make this next thing up. I read about this online. I forgot who was responsible for this, but I love it. It's called The Hatchet Order. And this is the order to watch the Star Wars movies. And I've talked about this before on um, uh, either Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert. But basically what you do is it, it makes it into an amazing saga if you watch the movies this way. Start with episode four. That is where you start. Great film. Uh, then watch episode five, Empire Strikes Back. Amazing. At the end of Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader, of course, says, I'm your father, Luke. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Then... Watch episode two. Pretend like episode one never happened because there's no information in episode one that has anything to do with the rest of the series. Just forget that episode one exists. Doesn't exist. So you've watched episode four, episode five, I'm your father. Then you watch episode two. Where he's Anakin, you see his life. Anakin is basically the the same age as Luke now Uh. and you see him making all the wrong choices. Right. Um, And then watch episode three where at the end of it, Return he becomes no no. Watch episode three, which is Revenge of the Sith. And wait, at the, what? Oh, <clears throat> sorry, I thought you meant the third from the beginning. No. Okay. Yep. Episode. Watch episode four. Watch episode five. Watch episode two. Watch episode three. At the end of episode three, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. He has completely gone over to the dark side. All hope is lost. Then watch episode six, where the son redeems the father and saves him, pulls him back from the brink, and gets him to. Um, embrace the good side of himself. Boom. Perfect saga. When do we get to Return of the Jedi? That's episode six. Oh, sorry. You watch four, five, two, three, and six. That's the order you watch them in. So you're skipping, you're skipping, you're missing, you're missing. One. Don't watch, you don't need to watch episode one. There's nothing in that movie. And by the way, all the crap about the midichlorians, they never go back to it because they realize it was a horrible mistake and they forget that it ever happened. Okay, except it's important to watch that because when you get into the Clone Wars and when you get into Rebels, you need to know about the midichlorians. Oh, that, that was you do. the dumbest and then, thing. Don't say that. And Ugh. then, and then, of course, you know, then watch the next Star Warses. That came out, but then you you definitely have to watch Clone Wars. It's super important, and and then the Mandalorian, which is the greatest thing ever. Dave Filoni. The Clone Wars are great, but I would argue you could watch four, five, two, three, six, and then go right to the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian takes place right after the Empire has fallen, and 
Um, well, they do a really interesting thing in that show, which is, yes, there's this horrible galactic empire. Yes, they're awful. Um, but they did bring order to the universe, even though it's based on fear. And so right now, it's like when 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 um, communism fell in Russia for a while, it was just the wild, wild west. There was no law and order, and people had to reform you know, some sanity. And you're seeing that in The Mandalorian, and it's brilliant. And then you have a great, um, uh, great appearance at the end of season two. It's season two, actually, they redeem a character that's treated very badly in the Star Wars films, and then they have an amazing cameo, and they make a character that was always liked, but not cool. They make him so badass. Are you talking about the Mandalorian? Mandalorian. Okay, but when do you get to the Clone Wars? You have to watch the Clone you Wars. You can watch the Clone Wars in between. Oh my uh, God, don't do it like it's a throwaway. It's so important. The Clone Wars are so important. She's saying this because she does a voice in it. Well, I don't do a voice in it. I do many voices in it. And I'm also do, I am also did voices in The Force Awakens, and I also did voices in Rebels. I'm very... Oh, but... And don't forget the Star Wars um, episodes of Robot Chicken, because those are important, too. They're hilarious. When the Wampa gets his arm cut off. Look, oh all he has to... All he really has to watch is the Star Wars holiday special, because he can <laughs> learn about uh, Life Day on the on the Wookiee planet. That's the most important one. Um. Anyway, great question. Have fun, Julian, listening to those, uh, watching those episodes. All right, let's do some recommendations. Now it's time for Did You Get Our Picks? Tell you what we like, what we really, really like. Yeah, tell me what you like, what you really, really like. (laughs) All right, um, really quick. I've been crazy busy, but uh, last night I made the mistake uh, before I needed to go to sleep of starting a new book. Uh, by an author named Laura Lippman. I talked about her a few weeks ago. She had a short story called ARM, Adjusted Rate Mortgage, and The Woman in the collection DC Noir. Great crime story about the lengths a woman will go to to stay in the upper middle class. And she will go to any length to stay in her district. Mm. Um, And I was like, and the story was so well written. uh, I was like, I wonder what else... Laura's written well. She's written a lot of novels, and she has a new one out called Dream Girl. And is it I'm, about me? And yes, um, <laughs> I made the mistake of reading the first couple of chapters last night. Um, it, this is one of those books like um, Thomas Harris's Silence of the Lambs or Thomas Perry's The Burglar that is designed that as you finish each chapter, it's oh shit now what like you just keep propelling you through can't it. Put it's the book so down. these first two chapters were so goddamned good. I have not finished the book. I know it's gonna be great. And I know it's gonna be one of those insanely entertaining, oh my God, this is such a great read. Uh Dream Girl by Laura Lippman. Oh, go get it. And 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 now that I mention it, also Thomas Perry's The Burglar. These are not deep novels about the human condition. They are ridiculously well-written, entertaining novels that you cannot put down. Oh, I can't wait. Those sound good. The Burglar also has an uh, interesting section that I made uh, Meredith read where uh, the, the lead character, who is a professional burglar, she is trying to escape a, a very mysterious and menacing SUV that is following her car. And she goes through my neighborhood. She not just goes through neighborhood. My street. Literally drives by your apartment building. Yeah. And it, I think the apartment building is even described. Oh my so gosh. So like it goes right and then makes that right onto Laurel Canyon. So we'll talk there you about go. it in another episode, but that's a uh, funny thing. The burglar apartment building, me 
Uh, we were robbed by the billionaire boys. That's a whole other story we'll get to. But That's a different building, though. That that's, wasn't the one you were living in. No, that's in. a different yeah. building. All right. So that's my book recommendation, Dream Girl, Laura Lippman. Comic books. Um, this writing pair, Tim Seeley and Sarah Beattie, have um, a, a collected uh, – they, they do an ongoing book. It's called Money Shot. And what they is have, that about? Well, it's exactly what you think it would be about. <gasps> it is about uh, scientists who are that's desperate. That's not what I'd think it was about. They are desperate for funding uh, for their, they're trying to cr uh, crack interplanetary uh, travel, interstellar travel. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way they fund their experiments is they go to other planets and um, have sex with alien species and put it up on their version of an OnlyFans or Patreon page and people pay money and that funds their ongoing experiments and they get involved in intergalactic wars and um, you know uh, civil wars and stuff like that because of all the different sexual wars of these planets. Then do they get hybrid babies? None of them have gotten pregnant yet. They haven't explored that yet. These two writers are, so, again, the, the, when I heard the premise, my, my writing partner said, you're, this book is so brilliant, and when you hear the premise, you're like, it's one joke. Oh, they're they're fucking aliens. They can make money. They explore so many amazing things in this book. They explore different sexualities. They explore um, relationships and um, what it means to be, uh, you know, you know the the intelligentsia versus populism. It's so good, and um, what it means to go meet an alien species. A a throwaway gesture on our planet can mean. A declaration of war on another one. You got to be very careful what you do. Oh, that and sounds good. And it's also funny as shit. Oh, I can't wait and to read really, it. Really, really heartfelt. And they also, <clears throat> the same pair has a new book that just came out two weeks ago. It's Superman versus Lobo. Um, Lobo. Superman, Lobo is an intergalactic bounty hunter. He's a DC character. But what I love about the first issue is there's a whole, there's a whole group of the population now uh, online that is about, they are against Superman saving them because it was God's plan for me to fall off that building. How dare you interfere? Wow, sounds like people we it, know, exactly. like QAnon and there, MAGA. It's, it's the total, oh, and also there's people going, there, I heard a podcast that said when Superman uses his x-ray vision, it's giving us all leukemia. Oh my and God. So, but it's the same, uh, like that is what would happen if we had Superman in our world. They would go, who is this alien to interfere, maybe that bridge should have collapsed. Maybe that bridge collapsing was going to kill a future Hitler. And then um, there's a hashtag, no thanks Superman. Oh, God. And it's brilliant. So Sarah Beatty and uh, Tim Seeley, great writers, get the two collected money shots and read Superman versus Lobo. They are very funny, wicked, smart writers. I love them. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, don't really have a movie recommendation unless uh, you count uh, the eight-episode series on Shudder called Dead Wax. This is a horror series. The longest episode is 18 minutes long. Um, super short, tight horror series about a girl who is a professional uh, vinyl collector. She tracks down rare albums and uh, a- Is she friends with Questlove? She. <laughs> Questlove should be in this show, by the way. Oh, um, because it it marries the obsessive the obsessive world of vinyl collectors with she's hired by a crazy billionaire to find a record that anyone who's ever played it goes insane and kills themselves. So there's something wrong with this record, and she is going down this. It, it's a combination of like record nerds and then H.P. Lovecraft. It's you know the book. And what's the thing where you watch that video and the girl crawls out? The Ring. Oh yeah. And that's also based on H.P. Lovecraft. It's the artifact, the book. The record, the movie, the thing that if you look at it, 
it, you then either go crazy or evil is brought into you. Wow. It's that kind of thing. Cool. And it's a great series. You can you can watch the whole thing in an afternoon. It's really tight and and really well made. Dead Wax on Shutter. Oh, and by the way, uh, Dead Wax was written and directed by a guy named Graham Resnick, who also made a great little movie uh, called Bushwick that when I saw it at Sundance in 2016, I was like, well, this is a goofy, semi-futuristic action movie. And then it ended up becoming pretty much prophetic. It kind of predicted uh, the raid on the Capitol and um, Red Cap America rising up and trying to take on, you know, people and, oh boy, does it, but luckily it does not go well for them. So, mm. mwah. Mwah. Um, music, uh, there, uh, the 70s rabbit hole, early 70s rabbit hole. There's this uh, group called dust and they had an album called hard attack. Get it? No, not hard attack, but hard attack. I don't get it. It's a play on the word heart attack. What does it have to do with dust? H well, the, no, the, the title itself is the oh, joke. You made it sound like the two of them were connected. No, okay. no, I didn't. Um, anyway, it's a very early 70s raw metal. If you like kind of a- 70s metal? Yeah, early 70s, like um, the, the way metal sounded when it was um, Blue Cheer and early um, Black Sabbath and Zeppelin, that kind of stuff. It's that really oh. um, grindy, crunchy, uh, and then, but then also like all these goddamn metal bands have these weird ballads, including one called Thus Spoken uh, about cherubs and toxic gases and devils, but it also has violins in it and they're so catchy. And it was a very, it, it, it's like, it's this filling in the space between um, Sabbath and Zeppelin is this group called Dust. I love them. Um, and it was a very, it was the first band by from, that had Mark Bell as their drummer, who went on to become Marky Ramone in the Ramones. This was his damn, first outfit. Damn, damn. And the, and the songs are really, really catchy. It's very anti-Ramones, though. The Ramones are about three chords, no filler, boom, boom, boom. This is big 70s metal. Ooh, I want to hear it. Yeah, I think you'll like some of the stuff. Those I, are good wrecks, babe. Yeah, all right. Um, we will see you next time. And keep those, we love these speak pipe messages. They're, they're, they're fascinating, so thank you. Yeah, keep them coming. Have a great day. Bye. This podcast is a production of Meredith Salinger and Patton Oswalt. In association with Starburns Audio. Executive producers are Cliff Dorfman and Jason Smith. And if you have questions for us, send them to... Hey, did you get my text? At gmail.com. And don't forget, subscribe to this podcast. It's free and it helps us get to keep making the show. Starburns Audio, a podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.